Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper and written by Kim Hinkle and Toby Hooper. This episode includes descriptions of cannibalism and gore, and our host ranked this movie as scary. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes, transcripts, and more. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where you hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about a film whose name is breathed with reverence in the hallowed hallways of horror films as the scariest, most messed up horror film ever made, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I am the spooky narrator of your morning commute, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinevites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? You think they wrote the screams into the script? Because that's like 60% of the movie is just blood-curdling screams. Was there a script? There must have been pages and pages that were just, ah, ah, chainsaw, chainsaw. That's what I'm saying. And also with us, the cinnamon bun of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Yeah, I am wondering if this movie had a script. Nothing would surprise me. (laughs) Would it? The first time I saw this movie, I can say without a question, I came away from this movie going, I hate this. Why does everybody feel strongly about this? And I went back and watched it again this time. And I came away with a completely different opinion, which is, I hate this, and those people are wrong. I feel like that one treehouse of horror where Bard hears, like, uh, quaff the raven nevermore, and he's just like, eh, I guess audiences were scared more easily back then. Because I now, with my 2022 big brain, am watching this film go, oh, you're not actually going to show her impaled on the meat hook? Boo! I mean, this is a student film, and I just... You want to come I back have, around to this opinion after you know, we do the recap? Yeah, let's come back around to this opinion because I right. can't remember. Sounds what like it's my still cooking. Was. Yeah, it's still, it's still in the oven. All right. So before we do a whole big discussion of the movie, I'm going to do a quick recap because I drew the short straw tonight. So here it goes. The basics of this movie, it is directed by Toby Hooper. It is written by Toby Hooper and Kim Hankel. It stars Marilyn Burns, Edwin Neal, and Ellen Danziger, along with about two or three other people. All right, here's what happens in this movie. We get an opening scroll that claims that the movie is based on a true story, even though it is only really, really loosely based on a couple of true stories, including Ed Gein and Elmer Wayne Henley, and they really just go with the parts that they want to include from that. This is followed by an extremely slow and stretched out series of flash photos in the dark of rotting mutilated dead bodies followed by a very long pan out of a group of bodies set up like an art display and a newscast about grave robbing and mutilation that's a thing that's happening at the start of this movie then there's a long shot of a road-killed armadillo as our character's van pulls into the frame because symbolism so here we have our main character's protagonist question mark of this movie we have sally our heroine for some reason jerry her boyfriend van driver and generally shitty person franklin her brother he's in a wheelchair This film seems to have sympathy for him, but not enough to give him any actual character traits other than being in a wheelchair. He sure does have an accent, though. Pam is also here. Her character trait is that the camera can't stop staring directly at her ass throughout the entire film. And then there's her boyfriend, Kirk, who's possibly the dumbest motherfucker in existence. (laughs) We then have a whole scene of this group piling out of the car. So Franklin, who is in a wheelchair, can piss in a coffee can on the roadside. I don't know why Franklin couldn't piss in a coffee can inside the van. But really the answer to that is that so we can have a scene where the semi splatters him with mud and then he rolls down a hill and is humiliated in front of the rest of his friends. This scene will never come up again and never matter. It's just there to humiliate the guy in the wheelchair. They then get back in the van, presumably because we get a cut and then they're back in the van. They pass a graveyard mentioned in the reports and it seems from the delivery to occur to salary, salary, to Sally at the moment that they are passing this that her grandfather was buried there and she should check and see if his grave was fucked with. We get no resolution on this, just a bunch of long shots of local yogles. And then they get back in the van and continue. They're proceeding to who the fuck knows where for who the fuck knows why until 
there is a horrible smell of a slaughterhouse and they decide to pick up a hitchhiker who was obviously a serial killer in the most, most obvious possible way. Everything about this guy is like he's dressed in red flags. This guy must be great at parties because he carries a pouch full of pictures of slaughtered cattle. Like he works for goddamn PETA and loves to do a fun trick where he grievously cuts a wound into his own hand. He then takes a bad picture of Franklin with no prompting. And then Franklin doesn't want to pay for it. So he uh, burns it in the middle of the van, sets a fire in the middle of the van, and then cuts Franklin with his straight razor before they kick him out. For God knows what reason. I mean, who doesn't do those things when they get invited into a van after hitchhiking? But not before he marks the side of the van with his blood and blows several nuclear raspberries, which is the biggest fucking insult possible in this movie. No curse words, just long, long sustained raspberries. Yeah, um, I had that in my notes. Yeah, I had the raspberries. It's time for the inevitable horror movie stop at a gas station, which has no gas, an unhelpful old man, and several low-angled shots of girls' asses while they buy Cokes from a machine. Why? Fuck you! That's why. A disabled employee just the windshield of the car, but not the obviously bloodied side panel of the car. We've learned from Franklin that the old house that, with, that their grandfather used to live in is out here somewhere, but he has to ask the old man to tell him how to get there letting everybody know where they're going. Now, this is the point where the real question comes to me. Where the fuck are they going? Because we don't know. Like, all the descriptions say that they went to the graveyard to check on the grandfather's grave or that they were going to check on this old homestead. They don't have a reason to be at the homestead, and they only stopped there because they stopped to get gas and there was no gas. And the graveyard seems to be an afterthought. And they say that they're going to pass, like later on, they'll say that they're going to pass by this place coming back. Where are they going? We don't know. It doesn't matter. The movie doesn't care. Uh, they pull up to this very abandoned house that you definitely shouldn't stay at for any reason because several of the walls are missing and there are just clumps, clumps of spiders. I guess they're going to anyway. They abandoned Franklin outside in the overgrown yard in a wheelchair because he wanted to wash the blood off the side of the van before going inside because it seemed like this crazy dude marked the side of their van. Franklin seems to be the only one who notices all the decorations made of blood and bone and fur that have been left around here. But it's a horror movie and there aren't any good places to fuck. So what can Pam and Kirk possibly do but decide to go swimming? However, since West Texas is hell on earth, there's no water left in the watering hole but they do notice that there's another house nearby with a gas motor running outside. So they're going to go ask for gas. Kirk and Pam are the dumbest motherfuckers in the history because there are a dozen abandoned cars hidden from overhead view under a tarp. That doesn't seem weird to them. So they go up onto the porch where Kirk finds a human molar loose on the porch and thinks that the best possible response to this is to put it on his girlfriend as a fun prank. She waits outside while he decides to go in. He finds the place full of animal bones and other weird shit and decides, hey, whatever, let's keep going. He thinks he hears someone moving around and making loud pig noises. So he follows that and trips and lands right in front of the man with a mask made of human skin, wearing a woman's wig, who bursts his head with a hammer in one single swing. And here he is, Leatherface. Kirk is already dead. God rest his soul. The camera, meanwhile, has spent its time outside finding Pam's ass again and sticks to it like it's glued there and follows her inside in what's supposed to be a great cinematic tracking shot of, like, the influenced generations. It's a fun tracking shot. For some reason, it's framed by her ass. She then finds a room chock-a-block with bones and feathers, so she decides to swim around in the feathers some before screaming as loud as possible while she runs around in this strange house. One of the most genuinely scary things in the movie happens as she fights like a motherfucker to get away from Leatherface, who just picks her up and lugs her back in the house and then sticks her on a meat hook while he cuts up some Kirk fillets with the chainsaw. Meanwhile, back at the house, Franklin is looking for his knife but can't find it, and Jerry is not the absolute fucking worst human being as he continues to tell Franklin the hitchhiker is tracking him and going to kill him as a joke. Jerry then wanders off and finds the same obviously fucking horrifying house and wanders in. He finds Pam in the freezer, which alerts Leatherface, who hammers him to death, and then seems genuinely upset that these teens just won't stop wandering into his house to get killed so he can get some goddamn work done, which is the most relatable thing in this movie. <laughs> Sally and Franklin, meanwhile, are bent out of shape that they're not getting murdered. So they start banging on the horn in the van and shouting as loud as possible so that they can find these people before they just decide to go wandering off into the middle of the dark woods. They have a fight over whether they should wander off into the dark woods or get in the van and go somewhere. Eventually, they settle on wandering around in the dark with a bright flashlight. 
Leatherface, meanwhile, jumps out and artistically chainsaws Franklin. And Sally runs as fast as I've ever seen a human being run in a horror movie. She is running like hell. That is the one thing I will give the acting in this movie. The two female leads in this movie genuinely seem to be scared as fuck of this dude with a chainsaw. They do not seem to be able to run as fast as he does because he is just finding business to do in the background while he's chasing them. A lot of the dialogue and delivery in this movie is really, really garbage. But both him and Sally are amazing at screaming and running while they're trying to get a rectal exam from a chainsaw. Sally has the longest running scene <laughs> you will ever see outside of a Benny Hill show. She runs all the way back to the massacre house, up the stairs, through the attic, finds the seemingly dead and preserved grandparents, jumps through a second story window to get away from Leatherface, not out, through, runs back into the woods, doubles back again, and then runs all the way to the gas station. The gas man suits her and tells her that there's no one else out there, so he's going to go get his truck so he can get her out of here. She ominously stares at the smoking meat in the special barbecue before he returns with a burlap sack and a rope to tie her up. She wields a knife at him, which he easily disarms her with, with a broom, and then knocks her out with a broom, tying her up and tossing her in the car, where he continues to prod her while delivering very uncomfortable comforting dialogue and just having a general chat with this girl that he has in the bag. In the driveway of the massacre house, we meet the hitchhiker again. He's part of the same family as the gas man and Leatherface. And they're going to have a fun dinner. They bring Grandpa down, who it turns out is still alive, despite looking very much dead and wearing the face of a dead man. He's just wearing a lot of dead people's skin. They then cut Sally's finger and have Grandpa suck on the blood, which is maybe the most unsettling thing that happens in this movie. It was definitely the part where Alicia tapped out. Sally passes out and wakes up in the middle of dinner. Uh, the Hitchhiker and Leatherface are having fun tormenting her while Toby Hooper really wants us to look at her eyes and hear some really discordant background noise. It's a soundtrack equivalent of subtexts for cowards. The guys <laughs> really want Grandpa to do the killing because he used to be a great cattle killer back in the day when the slaughterhouse was still open. So they keep putting the hammer in his hand and he keeps trying to hit her in the head, not really succeeding. It works a little bit, but she ends up escaping her bonds and takes a runner. Even though she's injured, the hitchhiker follows her, taunting her the whole way. The Leatherface has to stop and get his accessory. The hitchhiker taunts her all to the, right, to the road where he is suddenly and abruptly hit by a semi-truck. The black truck driver jumps out to see uh, what he can do to help and then immediately jumps right back in when he sees the white boy with a chainsaw running at him. All I can figure is they weren't actually allowed to like chainsaw into the side of this truck because they all seem to be very scared of him doing a dance with a chainsaw next to the truck. So they all pile out the other side of the truck. <laughs> and start running away with Leatherface chasing them. Sally jumps in the tr the pickup truck of a driver who hauls ass out of town as she descends into desperate maniacal laughter and probably the best acting choice in this movie. And I guess that black truck driver is still running down the road somewhere to this very day because we get no resolution on him. And this white guy driving the pickup does not turn around to go help him out. And that is the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This truck driver while being the only person of color in the movie, also has the name Black Maria just like bigly, like big painted on the side of his truck. So the movie really just, you can't mess it. Yeah. The face does draw some scratches into the door of the truck, which is yeah. a choice. It looks like so nothing they can buff out. Like that was the rule. Right. Like. Yeah, Leatherface, the, no, you're the, right. a lot of... It definitely reads that way that, like, this reads is like, look, we can borrow somebody's truck. Like, somebody's uncle is a trucker and we can borrow this truck. We can't fuck it up. Yeah. yeah. He is very clearly not chainsawing. <laughs> yeah, he's just doing, like, a little dance. So, Jeremy, I like how you say the movie seems to have sympathy for Franklin when the movie very clearly has no fucking sympathy for Franklin. Well, it's like this movie has sympathy for Franklin, which is why it starts with a scene where a man in a wheelchair loses control, rolls down a hill, falls into a bucket of his own pee, and then just for good measure, the wheelchair then crashes into him. Yeah, it's like there are several scenes that they seem to be aimed at going, isn't it horrible the way people treat people in wheelchairs, but then has no sort of resolution or forward motion with that at all. They're just yeah. Like, and it keeps happening. Let's keep showing bad things happen to the guy in a wheelchair. Why? Like, of all the tropes that caught on, and then, like, final girl's disabled brother did not become a recurring trope. I do think that they did make a point 
to show him as being a pain in the ass to everybody else. They still treated him like shit, and that was pretty obvious. They didn't really give him any other redeeming qualities other than he was just the one that everyone beat up on, you know, and therefore we're like, okay, well, this is obviously David throwing fucked little, up. They even throw a little fat phobia his way just for your shits and giggles. Oh, yeah. No, the whole situation sucks so hard. The way that he's depicted, the delivery that he has and how he's like, everyone considers him a joke. And then they all leave him by himself in the middle of nowhere. Franklin really bothers me in a way that like, Having a disabled character in a movie can be good, can be important. But the thing about Franklin is that his disability is disability. Like he is in a wheelchair. We don't know why. We don't have to know why. But in addition to that, he also has an, a strange accent and way of talking that nobody else in the movie has. He appears to not be... I um, worry that this movie does not fully understand physical disabilities versus mental disabilities. Yeah. He just, well, yeah. One of the many is, things that he exhibits are signs of the same disability. Because <laughs> the, the most background we're given is just exact quote, Sally and her invalid brother. Yeah. End quote. That's it. And I mean, that's just the long and the short of how much we're supposed to give a shit about that guy is because they mentioned him in the title crawl. That's it. And then, I mean, everybody sucks. Everybody sucks in this movie. Everyone's an asshole. Sally is kind of an asshole just for not sticking up for her brother. And then, like, nobody gets along with each other. Nobody really knows why they're there. Yeah, and ask you guys, like, I, I ran into yeah. this in the thing. Do you know where the fuck they were going? On a I, trip. I mean, which, again, it seemed to me that the their goal for the trip was we're going to check to see if our grandpa's corpse got fucked with. And then, like, one of them got out of the van, talked with a town official. Which was like, eh, it looks fine enough, I guess. And then they're like, by the way, our grandpa's house is nearby. Nobody lives there anymore. Like, no, there's no point. Like, it's so fuzzy faced out. It's like, again, this whole grave robbing thing, which ostensibly kicks off the plot, is also this completely inconsequential afterthought other than, I guess we're supposed to assume it's the hitchhiker who is doing it because he's acknowledged yeah. for causing attention. And also, I guess it's where we get that totally sweet skeleton couch. Yeah, I think, like... Couch is metal as fuck. <laughs> I'll admit it. Let's admit yeah. that's a great fucking couch. The decor in the house is a sty. Like, all of the chicken feathers and bird shit everywhere, like... You would think that the smell of chicken shit and feathers everywhere would be, like there if they can smell the salt anyway can we talk about other than the, oh. the down floor the interior of that house is just a, like a typical west sonoma county like arts and crafts house with a bunch of bones and shit this is where me being a dirty new england yankee like comes into play i look at that house and i'm like hey is the red painted skull room a red flag or is this just something houses have in texas I mean, it can't. They, I didn't see it in King of any King of the Hill episodes, but that doesn't mean they're not there. I mean, how I often think, do they really go into Dale's house in King of the Hill, though? Right? Yeah, I think that the skull room, the skull everything is, like, all meant to be red flags. All of the art made of human bodies and various other animals is bad enough. But, like, literally the point where Turk and Pam find all of those abandoned cars covered by, like, a tarp, the type of tarp that is designed to disguise things from being seen from overhead, like it's meant to look like it's grass. What the fuck? At that point, I'm done. Like, I'm like, oh, clearly they have more cars than this house needs. And they're just abandoned like, out here and covered up so that people don't see them. Well, can we appreciate that this family only succeeds in killing people because they are dumb as fuck? Like, yes. They keep implying that they're doing things that are a plan. But none of them make any sense. It's like, oh, this one marks the van. But nobody tracks or follows the van. Oh, well, this one, like, lies about the fuel to keep them there. But they just leave anyway. Well, like, like, they, here's, here's my thing. Here's where it falls apart for me. Because here's what theoretically happens, right? Is the hitchhiker marks the van. And then his brother, who is the guy at the gas station, who knows if they have gas or not. But he's like, oh, no, we don't have gas. You got to go get a stay around here somewhere. So you know, that they can be killed. And we decide to go up to the old homestead house, which, like, he knows where. That's where they were already going. Follow him. Yeah. They were trying to get gas to reach the homestead, 
which then made me question, oh, wait a fucking minute, how close is the homestead to this gas station that apparently only took her two minutes to run the to that? Yeah, apparently, like, what the, the fuck is going on? road back, but like running very and the crow flies through the brambles. It's very easy. But oh, like, that poor actress. That must have sucked. Like that was so many brambles she had to oh, throw. Yeah, she cut herself up pretty bad doing this. Like at least Leatherface had like full face mask to help with the branches. Like she just must have been like uh, just scratched and cut city after filming this movie. Yeah, and I think the thing that's wild to me about this plot is like, all right, they've set this up. But nobody goes to the house to kill them. They just slowly wander into Leatherface's house one at a time and get murdered. Well, yeah, yeah. He seems distressed by the situation. Like, yeah, I needed like a Looney Tunes mallet sound going off, like like birdies flying around their heads. Like, also, just from a pacing standpoint, this is a movie with five real like protagonists. Four victims and one final girl, three of whom die in like an eight minute time frame in this movie. Because this they like, walk into Leatherface, they basically run into Leatherface and they're like, oh, sorry. And he's like, smack, 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 you're dead. I love at least after Pam. he kills the second guy, Leatherface seems genuinely upset. He's looking around for more people. He's like, where should they keep coming from? Yeah. Why do they keep having to kill these people? Like, at least Pam got like, a real depth scene like we're following it we're following her ass like we're getting creepy locations there's tension it's drawn out the struggle like creative like gory depths with like the meat hook and making her watch the chainsaw like that scene is very effective kirk and jerry just fucking walk into a house and then get bonked on the head it was and it's say- fucking hilarious I will say that this is one of the few movies, few slasher movies I've ever seen where someone is killed and actually like flips out and or someone is like hit on the head and then there has the sort of muscle spasm thing going on, which I think is actually is is unusual and generally scary. Like I thought that was upsetting enough for a horror movie. I think it would have been scary if it had been like, I don't know, if Leatherface had been built up to it all. If it had been yeah. like a close-up, if we, again, if there had been real tension built, instead of just look at this dumb motherfucker walk through a hallway, very far, like, it's a pretty far distance shot, so you're very far away from the action, and yeah. then Leatherface just appears, and within, like, two seconds of him appearing on screen for the first time, he's a bonk. Like, it, it happens, it should be scary, but it just happens so fast that I couldn't help but laugh. Oh, I mean, like, Kirk the, literally the initial falls at his feet. Yeah. Kirk falls down on his own and then is hit with a hammer as he tries to get back up. Yeah. The, that, like, most of Leatherface bonking people on the head is actually pretty funny. And, like, the only thing that makes it less funny is, like, the twitching muscles and the chaos that's happening. I like uh, the twitching muscles and that it at least justifies that really drawn-out, detailed conversation about how cows die in slaughterhouses. Where I'm like, yeah. oh, we're get at least there was a narrative point to that conversation of yeah. just being weird and terrible. Yeah, like that was one of the uh, so, few thematic through life. I don't know my history very well. Did this movie ruin hitchhiking? Was hitchhiking like a thing people did? And then this movie came out and they're like, ah, we're not doing fucking hitchhiking. Apparently, no apparently the Texas Highway Patrol was very happy with Toby Hooper for this movie because <laughs> it's like crime went down because of people not picking up hitchhikers after this movie came out. That is a true public good that this movie did. Thank you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, I it was happening that. a lot still into the 80s. I know, but I love that a movie that everyone thought was like evil satanic and will cause violence is instead directly attributable to a noticeable decrease in crime. Sometimes these horror elements do cause awareness. This was a, a what a happy accident for that. Well, I'm just saying this was not a happy accident. Silence of the Lambs came out in 1991. I haven't heard a single case of a psychiatrist eating a patient since. Just throw it out there. I haven't heard about one before that. Well, how about that? Doesn't <laughs> prove my point. Yeah, can we? Like, I think one of the. One of the points that I find about people that are excited about this movie, I love this movie, is the inventive cinematography. Guys, I don't, 
Okay. Good shots in here. Maybe, again, I don't know what the state of slashers or low-budget horror was pre-1974, but I got to tell you, I was having a lot of Friday the 13th Part 1, like, flashbacks watching this movie. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're a couple years before Halloween at this point. Yeah, like, we don't even have Halloween to work off of, and holy shit, do I not care about any of the characters. Like, in particular. Even Sally is nothing. Sally is just, Sally is A, holy shit, can she scream? And she can jump through a window like a fucking champ. Those are honestly the main two personality traits I have for Sally. I think you could teach a class on Pam and the difference between a character being sexy and being sexualized. Mm -hmm. Because the way that this camera frames around her ass in scenes is ridiculous. Like this tracking shot going up to the house is a nice tracking shot, but it is for no reason shot like framing her ass very deliberately and this is something that like they've that marilyn mcmahon the actress has talked about in movies and or in interviews and how like when they were setting up for this shot they like got the cinematographer basically or the ad under the swing that she's in and then like were set up to track her as she walked in and she was like Wait, that camera's going to be like 14 inches from my ass. I don't want to do that. And basically, Toby Hooper told her to uh, shut up and do it and that they would just shoot around it. And then she didn't actually get to see the final result of the shot until she paid her own money to go see this movie after it came out. We're not even talking uh, about like beforehand yeah. and it just didn't get changed. Like That has big, I had to buy scene. a copy of my own comic at a bookstore energy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, that is one of a long list of things that bother me about the making of this movie, which like, it's an indie film, right? People work long hours voluntarily. They're just trying to get a break, but this film was filmed in 16 hour days. It was filmed seven days a week. It was 120 degrees outside when they were filming some of these scenes. Marilyn McMahon was paid $700 to play Pam. Several people passed out while making this movie. Ed O'Neill said filming this was a worse experience than serving in Vietnam. (laughs) Holy shit. Which he did. (laughs) That is quite the comparison. He also says that if he ever saw Toby Hooper again in in real life, that he would beat his ass because of the way that this went down. Goddamn. Marilyn McMahon literally quit acting because of the way that this all went down. And like, I don't know, like we want to, there's all of these stories about this scene in the house at the end this dinner scene is one of the most notorious things in cinema not just because of the way the film plays it out but because the old man the man at the gas station the third brother is like he's in old man makeup which apparently took a long fucking time to put on so he said he never wanted to put it on again so they decided that that meant they needed to film all of his scenes so they worked on filming scenes with him in them for 36 hours straight. Jesus Christ. Good God. Why the, again? By the why time they're just... shooting the scene in the house, it is daytime outside. So they had to put blackout curtains on there so that you couldn't <laughs> see the daytime outside. It's yeah. 120 degrees in the house. The food nope. was actively rotting. It was so hot in the house. People were oh. passing out like... It was they, the guy who played Leatherface was talking about how like he had moments of not knowing if he was him or if he was his character, which is that's not a character you want to get lost in. Yeah, that is yeah. not a character you do not want to method act Leatherface. And the wildest thing about this movie, like those are all abuses of people making this movie that I don't think should be overlooked. But the wildest, craziest thing about this movie is it's distributed by a company initially called Bryanston Distribution Company which turned out to be a mafia front. And it lied to the creators about how much the movie made because they were using it to money, money launder profits from the pornographic film Deep Throat. Fantastic. For which No, no, it's 10 out of 10. For which people were being arrested for indecency charges. And nobody knew how well the film had actually done until the FBI busted this other company, Bryanson Distribution, and New Line eventually came in and picked up the rights and had to settle accounts with everybody. I wish it had been the FBI, like FBI forensic accounting, had to figure out the exact box office of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, and on top of that... Someone's saying, like, I fucking went through training at Quantico for this shit. 
<laughs> yeah, and and on top of all of that, like Deep Throat itself had enough weird shit going on around it that they made a whole movie about the making of Deep Throat, which is, if you don't know the plot of Deep Throat, it is a, it is having looked all of this up. It is about a woman who goes to a doctor because she is unsatisfied with her already wild sex life, but does not seem to be getting the joy from it that she wants to, uh, which the doctor discovers that her clitoris is in the wrong place. It's not where it should be, but it said it's in the black bag of her throat. So she has to uh, dethroat fellatio men in order to have her clitoris stimulated. Uh, also, importantly, this movie came out during the window of history that was closed almost as soon as it was opened where a porno movie was played in just a regular old theater. You could go see, I don't know, whatever the 1970s version of The Smurfs 2 was, and Deep Throat would be playing. Well, I think that at The Smurfs 2, that was a Ralph Bakshi production, so it's probably double-featured with the Deep Throat. Fun fact, my folks never let me watch The Smurfs when I was younger, and I thought... Or Deep Throat. Well, no, I, yeah, like... I will say, I need, I mean, I've, I watched a lot of crazy shit. I've never seen Deep Throat. I'm only familiar with it because of the X-Files. The, and the I, Watergate. Well, yeah, but like when I was little, I was not, like when I was in middle school, I wasn't giving any shits about Watergate. I was like, I learned about Watergate because of the X-Files. And then it became interesting to me. But anyway. That's the beauty of edutainment, folks. Hell yeah. I mean, and the internet was barely there, but like, okay. Who cares about Nixon when you have Jillian uh, Anderson and Blazers, you know? Yeah. And David Duchovny, My Awakening. Both of them, fantastic. 10 out of 10. Yeah. I didn't know that that was the plot to Deep Throat. But yeah, hey. let me finish my story about the Smurfs. <laughs> I found out that... <laughs> I thought that this, there was something sinister going on with the Smurfs. And then I found out later on that my parents just thought it was, it was dumb. This one to spare me from a bad show. Yeah. I, can we talk about that weirdly cheery music that plays while the hitchhiker cuts his own hand? Why did they play such cheery music during that scene? I don't know, but I know, like, when I watched Last House on the Left, I also noticed that these 70s horror movies with a lot of exploitation and really fucked up shit going on with no real rhyme or reason, just like, here's some fucked up shit happening, had a lot of, like, upbeat 70s folk rock. In it's fact, so strange. the main character, or no, not the main character, the main antagonist of Last House on the Left has, uh, like, the soundtrack has a song about him. Like, and it's like the fucking Robin Hood Disney movie, Atlanta Dale song. It's like, Krugan's buddies were going to the store and they found a lady and brought him, I mean, her either way into their van. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I. What I wonder is, do we think we can get Ikea to sell the skeleton couch? It's Can we make that happen? The how, much of, how much of this home decor can we get Ikea? I bet you they would sell, like, the skull with the bone going through the eyeball. I think that's, like, more of a local Ikea situation in Sweden, but... Maybe this is way about more about me, but I was definitely way more bothered by the tortoise shell than, they, than I was, like, all the other corpse art. I was like, yeah, whatever, Hannibal. People turned into arts and crafts. Been there, done that. Yeah. But not a turtle. You leave the turtles out of this, Leatherface. I mean, there was every animal, every every sort of fauna was represented there. I don't know if the, the animal newspaper, I mean, not newspaper, wallpaper. This movie has made me feel. You do like got a lot of these absolutely dumb as shit kids walking around this house being like, oh, bag of bones on the floor. No. Follow-up questions. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You'll find weird shit. And that's part of the fun of it. He just like, after dark, you're like, I'm going to go home. That was cool. Took a picture. Going to go home now. The the hitchhiker, I'm totally changing subject here. The hitchhiker, also bad representation because they, they were doing something with him to make him seem strange. And there was a lot of like non-specific ableism there, especially since he had like the birthmark and everything. I mean, he was he was pretty like vilified for just being weird and looking weird. Uh, this and between this and the hills have eyes <laughs> sure did a number for just the, like the country's perception of the rural south. And the fucking disabled. Yeah. Disabled, like. 
The way that people talk about Leatherface in interviews about this movie really bothers me because they're like, oh, he is nonverbal. He is, he's very unintelligent. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's only doing these things because of his family. And on top of that, that like they're modeling some stuff after Ed Gein. Mm. And like, there's plenty of things that they could leave out and that they do leave out about Ed Gein and about other people. They're sort of modeling this on. They really decide that they want to keep man who dresses like his mother or man who dresses like a woman as part of this thing and disability as part of this thing. And this movie is responsible in no small part for the way that we view those things culturally, the way that a lot of people like Uh, treat the legacy of psycho strikes again. Yeah. Well, so Ed Gein, so yeah, and the legacy of Ed Gein. Yeah, because he he inspired Psycho, he inspired Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he inspired Red Dragon and uh, Silence of the Lambs. God damn. Um, And like you said, Jeremy, it's they are very deliberate about what they choose from these real life models. Although one thing that I found was really interesting is that this the hitchhiker in this movie really reminds me of Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento, like down to his just weird movement and his look predates Richard Chase by a couple of years. I mean, this hitchhiker, we've got just more ableism. Like there's clearly like elements of schizophrenia that I think they're trying to hearken to. They give him a very large noticeable birthmark just for a little more like don't trust people that have to like, any kind of deformity, like they are inherently bad, you know, just furthering that message that movies just love to keep sending. Like this movie already has so much ableism with Franklin. And then this hitchhiker is just like, how about we just throw some more and different kinds of ableism at you? Yeah. And Letterface too. Yeah. Uh, like just a whole stew. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if they're trying to also imply inbreeding with the being the rural Texas in the middle of nowhere. I don't know. I think that's definitely, I think that's a little more the hills have eyes. Yeah. I we get no indication that there are any women relatives in this movie. This I mean, family, grandma, this family she is, she seems pretty dead up there, but grandma seemed pretty dead before they wheeled in down too. So well, I yeah. did love like Sally, like asking for help for what looked like are clearly corpses, but apparently not a corpse and also worse. Yeah, like, I don't know if that was supposed to be supernatural, like, if he was supposed to be a zombie or something, because that was really, like, I don't even know. Oh, when it was, I thought they were like, oh, you're pretending like grandpa's alive. And then, like, I started hearing sucking noises. That was, I was like, okay, this is legitimately disturbing me. This is, this is. Yeah, that was really weird. I mean, the, the weirdness of that scene, I can see that being really significant to people. Looking at it now, it doesn't seem like that it's, it would stand out so much but you know again the context is what it is i do wish we could talk to somebody i mean if we want to do we're i'm open to anyone coming in and saying especially those people that we've had as guests or want to be guests or whatever i would really love to hear what you like about the movie because i am not quite as upset about it as jeremy is but i agree with you jeremy about a lot of the points that you may hear I feel like um, my, my first viewing of it, my response was, that's it. it, it it's that, yeah. It, it, there's a I, lot of like horror movies that people rant and rave about that like I watch and I just feel like, I just feel like that same gift from Arrested Development, just that her, you know, like I, that's, this is the movie. This is the one you love and care about so much. And then this time I feel like I, I had seen the movie. I knew what it was. And I really had time to focus on what I hated about it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like this movie excels at either the heroes or the villains. Like, look, I know horror slasher movies aren't really has to have much in the way of protagonists, but God, like the friends were especially forgettable and undefined. Like, I think the character that has the most lines and is like fleshed out the most is Franklin who is treated as a very annoying burden and is killed off less than halfway through the movie. There are whole scenes of Franklin and Sally just talking and I'm learning nothing about them or their relationship or in history with one Even another. Franklin is an exposition machine. He yeah. Is like 
did you know about our uncle? Did you know about our grandfather who did this thing and worked out here? And this was his thing. And I feel like one of the things that really bothers me about this movie, and, and you're talking about how like forgettable the guys are, especially the thing is with this movie that bothers me is how quickly the guys die as compared to the women. And it's not that the women are more successful at fighting or getting away or anything other than Sally, who, you know, is questionably better at it. Oh yeah. Sally only gets away because of their insane insistence on let's make our undead, our barely alive or barely dead grandpa do it. Even though he's dropped it like nine times, let's just keep putting it in her hands. Like it got comical. Every time it just fell out of his hands, like it goes on so long. It's not like they're like, oh, we'll have a goof. And in that like one little bit of time they give her, she gets away. Like they give her like 10 minutes or something like to get away. I would how long they the just only reason fucking putting the hammer in his hand. The only reason Sally survives is she has zero reverence for windows. She just she just fuck windows. She just, oh, yeah. Sally just Jackie Chan's out that house, and it's great. Yeah, she's very decisive about the window. She's like, you know what? She goes out a second-story window when she's running from Leatherface, and then when she's running from them all at the edge, she goes straight through another window. When I say that the overwhelming majority of Sally's lines are just blood-curdling screams, I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, we we use the term scream queen. There is nothing but screams, like, to Sally. Like, I've legitimately never seen a movie where so much of the where so much of the runtime is people running, screaming or screaming while running. Yeah. And they they shoot the women as if they're sides of beef up until the point that it's time for them to be tortured. Literally on a meat hook. Yeah. And then they like spend long periods of time with us, like watching women being tortured. Uh, especially Sally, especially in that dinner scene where there's just so many shots and so much time spent with like watching her knowing that she's going to die and be tortured by these, you know, assholes that they just stay with it for so long, which they have no interest in doing for the guys. Guys dead, gone. Women, like they really want to focus on them being tortured. Frankly. And as they play this, whatever is on the soundtrack of this movie, it's, it's things that are not musical instruments banging around it. It sounds like somebody hired somebody to like, just take a pair of cymbals and smash them against everything in a room for a while. And then they just put that in the background of the movie, which is like, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be discordant. It's supposed to make us feel uncomfortable. Alfred Hitchcock put fucking bees under the sounds in movies so that you would be tense but this is just like yeah like i said it's the it's the subtext is for cowards version of that it's like what if it were extremely fucking hard to watch this movie because it's yeah or yeah it's like endless way going on for way too long extremely rapid like cuts and close-ups of her screaming and her eyeball just screaming and eyeball close-ups like those were good shots. I thought that was effective. I mean, I in terms the camera at that point, then like like getting a shot that close in the seventies was pretty difficult, especially. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm just imagining how much time they had to spend. Just like how like how did they get that shot? Like what was that looking like from four feet away? Just her screaming bloody murder while a cameraman just waves a camera like centimeters away from her face. Yeah, and they were talking about the scene in the van with the hitchhiker and how there's six people on camera plus two people on the camera crew in that van shooting those scenes in the middle of the day in the Texas heat. And I'm just like, guys, like, there's got to be a better way to do this than actually torturing your actors. Yeah. And it's no coincidence. Did it have to actually be in Texas? Yeah, there's no coincidence a lot of people in this movie just stop acting after this movie comes out. Yeah, I mean, and that's another lesson to take from the film that I think that, you know, hopefully, I assume some people took from this film, if not from other similar disaster productions, which is the necessity for organizing a shoot like this. Because it sounds like there was, I mean, I haven't done the research, Jeremy, from what you're telling me, it sounds like it was not very organized at all. And if you're running 16 hour days, in 120 degree weather, it's definitely not organized. You don't have anybody who's like thinking of atmosphere or, you know, like 
where are they getting the electricity for all of the the cameras and shit? Like, probably they have a generator too. Yeah, I assume uh, I assume that was the actual generator they were using <laughs> during the film. Yeah. And they're like, well, we've already got it, so let's just yeah. use it on the movie. And, you like, know. You call smart. We can write it off the taxes twice. I mean, what was the production company? Uh, Brian. Brian. Look, I'm sure there are things on cooking shows less cooked than these books. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Jeremy, when when reading over your recap here, I really enjoy the care that you put into it because I would have recapped it as some kids go into the countryside and get killed. There's not a lot happening in this movie. And if the more you look into it, the more problematic it gets. It does not hold up. I was looking at the reception. It's like a movie that allowed complex themes to be explored in horror films. What the fuck are you talking about? What complex themes are in this film? The essays that have been written on this movie and how like this like post-industrial America is being explored for the first time. We're seeing this people who have been laid off from the plant where they used to kill cows and now they are turning those murderous impulses elsewhere. I'm just like, that's, I mean, I know this is a movie, but that does sound like projection. There's a lot of people that are like, who knows how much of it Toby Hoover meant to put in there? And I'm like, none of it. Yeah. I'm like, if you know, like yeah. this, I see myself in this family of redneck, of like really stereotypical red tech cannibals. I've got more questions for you than the movie. Yeah, the, the newscasts that are involved. I was definitely wondering. I had questions about the newscasts where they're like, there was a blackout at a sports game and a man like jumped off a building. I'm like, is that going to be relevant or is that just some fucked up shit you decide to throw at us? Yeah, I think that the sports or the uh, the newscasts were there to just solidify the point that shit's fucked up. The wildest thing, that's a ridiculous term to use at this point. <laughs> Another funny thing about this movie to me, the opening scroll is delivered by the one and only John Larroquette, who was apparently... Paid for the job of reading this scroll with a blunt. <laughs> nice. According to him, he got paid for this reading this scroll in the marijuana. Look, that's why I mean, you need a union. That's why we need a union in comics so we can get blunts. I mean, or and blunts and it is it is nice to know that other people were not paid in simply blunts. I hope that those people who were like the actress paid seven hundred dollars. At least got a lot of. You can buy weed. like a bunch of blunts for that. Yeah, but like. I mean, in the 70s, you can buy a ton of weed for seven. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I wonder if the reaction to this movie was like, this movie, if at the time they're like, this is capturing the malaise and dissatisfaction of America in the 1970s. And we just at the 2020s are just like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. Yeah, really angst about America in the 70s, which. Okay, yeah, we're a year, I guess like yeah, we're a year after Vietnam, Nixon and shit, but it's like I feel like people are just like I feel bad and they're bad people in this movie, so this movie is topical. Like I just yeah. don't see it. Like I just it, like it's the implication that if oh gee, if only the plan was still around, then they wouldn't have turned to like insane cannibalism. Like, is that the implication here? I mean, there's some classism there, too, because, like, apparently if you can't work at the cattle slaughterhouse, like, the abattoir, look, the then poors are just a fucking psycho killer. Look, the poors just have, like, their built-up murder. If you don't let them murder the cows, they'll murder us. The real human beings. Is that the message of the movie? Yeah, I don't that's know. An that's a bonkers-ass movie. I is mean, that we need to keep the control the poors, like... Un unsatiable urge to kill that that's a that's bonkers that's the message that, from class that can't the be the theme of the movie that the movie has more to say, the movie has more to say about class than it does about race or lgbtqia people there's nothing to be said it's an extremely straight movie we have one black character in the movie he has no name other than trucker he's awesome and he's got a great throw with a wrench oh yeah he does he does nail well, he does wrench. And then he just disappears after what I assume was the only afternoon of filming they had him for. <laughs> yeah, he runs the other direction when Sally jumps out of the truck and we never see him again. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's all it has to say about race, I guess, because there's no black people in Texas, I guess. Yeah. Look, I guess I, I mean, maybe, maybe I being a look, I, black person. maybe I'm being a little stereotypical here, but I'm like, this was a Texan film in the 1970s. This could have been a lot worse. Yeah. I mean, it could have been Last House on the Left, where the trucker was a black woman who was a horrible racist stereotype. Like, yeah. Yeah. This dude just nails one of like the villains and then like hits the other with a wrench and then just fought, like kind of saves the day and then just fucks off. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? Though? I kind of think he's the real protagonist. He's, he's the smartest person. End of a movie. He is the by movie. far the one that does the most to stop the villains. Yes. And it's not even close. Like, he is the, when it comes to stopping Leatherface and Leatherface's family, he is the MVP by far. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, is there's the most to say about this movie when it comes to feminism and when it comes to mental and physical disability and it's all bad like (laughs) all bad on every level bad yeah it's take on the disabled is bad it's treatment of women is bad Hmm? i truly don't know what the overarching theme of the movie is but anything i can guess is bad yeah there are at least three characters that seem to be mentally disabled to have a mental disability there's at least one physically disabled person and all of those things are treated badly. They're all dealt with badly. They're all dealt with as like, with the exception of Franklin, they're monsters for having a, a mental disorder. And Which, Franklin is, is treated as nothing but a, a, like a whiny burden. Like the way that he is played in this movie, he is constantly whining. Franklin has given no likable qualities. But also, speaking of Franklin, what is it that he has sticking out of his mouth for a significant portion of the film? Yeah, was that a sausage? Yeah, or like, jerk? was that a sausage? That's not how you eat sausages. You don't just leave them in your mouth like cigars for long stretches of time. I mean, they were out on a road trip. Who knows? Who knows? But what it, was that? Like it was a, weird. Yeah. Gross. It was, it was like, did he get that from the gas station? And we're now supposed to be like, ah, oh, Franklin ate human. Well, they, they get was... a bag of barbecue at the gas station, which is presumably human. Oh, um, definitely human. Yeah, which, like, I don't know that we, I don't know if we see that people eat that or not, but. I feel like in general, if you're at a gas station, like, we got no fuel, but we got great barbecue. I'm like, so you don't have the thing you're supposed to have, but you got lots of the thing you're not supposed to have. I mean, here's the thing. You're bad at your business. Here's well, but the great that cannibalism. Is, the cannibalism, not so much. The gas stations that make great barbecue is a Southern thing. Like, is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, I think that's okay. This is my. And find comes from gas station. Like this is my ignorance showing. So there you <laughs> go. This is, this is me being a damn ignorant yank. Within I think a 20 mile radius from me, there are at least three gas stations that also sell barbecue that are, that do the second one better. Yeah. <laughs> gas station. <laughs> Yeah, apparently also Paul Parton, who plays, who plays the, my brain stopped working, who plays the part of Franklin in this movie, is a method actor and refused to break character between takes and around making. But his character is the worst. Yeah, like what character? What drives me insane is that he has this, maybe not inaccurate, but intense Texas accent. Sally, who is supposed to be his sister, who is from the same town as him, has no accent. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Sounds like she has dropped right out of L.A. that day. And she air dropped in. I was like, what is he doing and what is she doing? And can they not get on the same page? I don't know. It's wild. And that goes a long way to making him seem like he has other disabilities as well. Yeah. There's also the classism of the Southern accent versus the Los Angeles accent. Like they're the LA kids are the normal ones. And then anyone who is like, wait, is that what supposed to be? Then why, why, why the fuck is Franklin talking like this? Because he's not the one of the normal ones. I mean, him and Sally are supposed to be from around there, but Sally doesn't have an accent. Yeah. It, I think it's just trying to then just straight up associate the Southern accent with physical and mental disability. That's what I'm saying. Or just ignorance. 
Yeah. The local yokels at the beginning be like, why don't you go down there and talk to Mr. Webb? And that was a tiny newspaper person and you know it. Yeah, because I don't want to do a derogatory Texas accent. Oh, so you'll do, so you'll derogatory our fine newspaper people. Just the ones from the past. Just the ones who talk like this, eh? Yeah, they're they're gangsters. Anyway, Jeremy, you were saying. Remember when Hollywood just made up a voice for people to talk in only in movies? That's And they just did it for decades. What the fuck was up with the mid-Atlantic accent? It sounded good on audio, but Jeremy, you had a thing you were going to say. Oh, man, I'd forget. Guys, you (laughs) recommended that people see this movie. Um, Not really. If you're one of those where it's like, I want to see every historically major horror movie and see everything that influenced stuff. Sure. Otherwise, it's only an hour 20, but it feels like a long hour 20. It's the yeah. longest 82 minutes in the history of film. Like It's, it's longer than the most recent episode. It feels longer than the longer episodes of Stranger Things. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Especially it that, that so last long. half hour is so long. Like, it takes so long for the killing to start. And then so much of it happens in, like, eight minutes. And then the rest of the movie is just endless running. And it's just screaming. Yeah. There's just no dialogue after the halfway point. It's just, like, screaming. And what dialogue there is, is this family being horrible. It's sequential monotone. It's monotone quiet. And then it's monotone loud. I gotta say, in the pantheon of, like, great horror villains... I don't love Leatherface that much. Like, compared to, like, Michael Myers, like, Freddy Krueger, and, like, Chucky, and a lot of these others that we've seen, like, I gotta say, like, I like the chainsaw, but other than the choice of weaponry, like, I gotta say, I'm not too impressed with with Leatherface compared to Michael Myers and Halloween, like, three years later. Michael Myers is a character, is a person of pure evil. Like, he's, you know, literally, like... They say that he's just, there's nothing behind his eyes. He's dark and he's evil and everything else. And Leatherface, they're like, oh, he can't really talk and is like pushed into doing this by his family. Like, he's not really a monster. He's just mentally disabled. And it's like, oh my God, that's like, not I, better, that's guy. I can't say, in fact, someone getting away from Michael Myers and Michael Myers just like raving and dancing out of frustration. Yeah. I... Mean, <laughs> I I don't know. I have real problems with this movie, not just from like a thematic standpoint, but with the idea of like how badly people were treated in the making of this movie and how like poorly it was dealt with in the same way that I have trouble watching Kubrick movies now, like knowing the way that in The Shining, how poorly he was treating, you know, kids and old people while making that movie, like the extent of or the Shelley Duvall brothers and Shelley Duvall and yeah. justice for Shelley. Yeah, and and watching this movie now, I mean, we've made a point, I've made a point of turning down talking about Roman Polanski movies on this, despite the fact that, like, Rosemary's Baby is a very, like, noteworthy moment in horror, because I don't feel the need to give Roman Polanski more I think instead of Rosemary's Baby, we should watch the Adam Scott movie where he becomes uh, the Antichrist stepdad. Or we do an episode about... It actually had it. That Roman Polanski's done and sort of for awareness that way. Because God, we should do that movie. It actually has a trans man as a prominent supporting character. Good representation. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, also- a trans man is in the stereotypical macho best friend role. Oh, and there's also Lyle, which is basically Rosemary's Baby, but with lesbians. And Ooh. like, oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Lyle. Is good, but a real hard watch. Much like Rosemary's Baby. It's a difficult thing to watch. But like, yeah, I, I don't, we, we haven't covered Roman Polanski's films for that specific reason. And I feel bad about like supporting movies that treated their cast and actors and, and other folks poorly. And like that on top of the things that are just wrong with this movie. And, and yet we get more wrong over time. And yet we continue to cover the rest. Resident Evil films, a series that is notoriously abusive to us. <laughs> well, we made we that choice. up for that, you know? Yeah, we made that choice. We um, abused by the Resident Evil films. Yeah, so... We're like a cake for us, you know? <laughs> That's true. 
We consent. We consented. Yes. With with Text Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. I mean, in terms of recommendations, it's I would recommend it only as homework. Yeah. If you want to know what we're talking about or if you want to know what the big deal is, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you will get an answer, but you will at least know what's going on, what we're talking about if you haven't seen it, what the big deal is to those who constantly cite it. I mean, and if anything, you could throw it on in the background while you're cooking for your Halloween party. No, don't do that. Don't cook. Don't cook. Yeah. And then in terms of recommendations, (laughs) I mean, heck, there's so many great ways that the slasher is gone. If you're just looking for bloody, gory times, there's so many other places you could go for that. Like, watch uh, Halloween. Do a nightmare on Elm Street. Watch the fucking Saw movies. Like, watch some Eli Roth shit if you're just looking for screaming and gold, which is kind of all the, which is what made the movie shocking at the time and just makes us go, like, really? You call that a chainsaw disemboweling? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like those are the movies that are most heavily influenced that are descendants of this movie are the Eli Roth things like Hostel. Like those yeah. feel the most like what's what's come out of this, because yeah, I would absolutely recommend basically any other slasher franchise over this, except Friday the Thirteenth, which I notably also do not like. Still, I like more than this, but mm-hmm. both Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street are a lot of fun. We've talked about both of those, and if you really want to watch something that is like an important moment in horror, those are, are good ones to check out. Also, like every week, check out Jason X, where Jason goes to space. What's the Hellraiser that's in space? I haven't actually. I don't think I've seen it. It's. I don't. I don't know. My what hell, hell, the final front, final frontier. I mean, that's Event Horizon. Is Event Horizon? I'm so excited for us to do Event Horizon. I yeah. So watch Event Horizon, so you'll be ready for when we do it this year later on this year. That's my recommendation, Hannibal. If you want to see more arts and crafts project with bodies and a little bit more like substance. Although actually the one thing I recommend is the meme that shows Hannibal having dinner with this family. And I think the caption is like, talk about an awkward Thanksgiving or something. Well, I feel like this would be where Hannibal would go to like when he has like his diners, drive, drive-ins and dives phase. Oh! <laughs> Please. This is Texas Chains. So you're you're saying Leatherface is the Guy Fieri of Hannibal's. This is yeah. I mean, yeah. Interpret that. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like Hannibal. Hannibal would be the Guy Fieri, like in, investigating all. Yeah, the like drivers. Hannibal. This is in this scenario. Hannibal watched a bunch of Guy Fieri on Food Channel, like got inspired and decided to find like the cannibal, like of like. You know, tried to find, like, the diamonds in the rough of Hannibal cuisine. Well, I think Hannibal would go about it a little bit more like Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. But that may may he rest well. But the, the I do like the idea of then Leatherface is Guy Fieri. And, I mean, he'd be a lot more of a fun... He would have a character if... Yeah, I feel like Hitchhiker is much closer to a Guy Fieri type. Leatherface would rock a flaming button down. That hitchhiker is basically Richard Chase, which is really weird to me. <laughs> it's so weird because Richard Chase was later. Also, Richard Chase is like, I really hate to say it like this, but he's like my hometown serial killer because he haunted our neighborhood, but it was before we moved there. So like right before we moved there, he was in jail at that point. So what you're saying is we've never seen Emily and the vampire Sacramento in the same place. He's dead now. Look him up. He looks exactly well, isn't like that. that convenient for a certain somebody. I look, he did a lot of horrible things to animals and I would never, ever, ever do that. That's true. That checks out. Your story checks out. Yeah. For now, I, Zodiac. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> Zodiac didn't do anything bad to animals as far as we know. I mean, um, gave him. He's real bad at being a congressman. Yeah. I tell me about it. All right. <laughs> I do. My favorite part of. About Zodiac is how like every few years a new book comes out. It's just like, I don't know. I got drunk with a cop that knew a guy that worked the case. And this is who he thinks did it. Here's my book. <laughs> totally solved it. Oh, well, I think that wraps it up for us, guys. Uh, we pretty unanimously hate this film. Uh, <laughs> we sure do. Not as bad. 
As for where you can find us to tell us what you think about our, our critique of this movie, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at BenTheCon and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all of their books. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and my website at jeremywhitley.com where you can check out everything I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at Pod, where we would love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love for you to review our podcast and give us five stars. It helps us find new listeners. Thanks again for all of you for joining us. And thanks as always to Emily and Ben for, for being here while I work through my feelings about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with me. We're here for you, Jeremy. Got your We're back. always here for you. All right, guys, that's it. Until next time. <laughs> Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 6 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, please find us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>